you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Mr. President, I'm here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's gonna shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've gotta do something. All right, Lee, time to become an American hero. Darkmyths.org and the Apples Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast. Featuring your host, Rob Clark. Where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. a lot to do with our role as citizens of this in this kind of democracy in this kind of society and I think also it fosters much respect and gratitude for those who went before us who provided so much that we take unfortunately we take for granted and it gives us a feeling that we have ought to measure up too and uh and that we can learn a great deal from these people, not just about politics and the law and and, uh, government, but about life, about being a good human being. History is about people. History is human. And it's a marvelous antidote to the hubris of the present when you see what these people did against great odds or adversity. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is episode 128 of the Lone Gunman Podcast, and I'm your host, Rob Clark. Today on the show, I got a returning guest. That's right, folks. The author of the best-selling Before History Dies and the new book, The Riptide, uh, welcome back to the show, my friend Jacob Carter. How you doing, Jake? I'm doing well, Rob, and I appreciate you having me on because I really like being a guest on your show, and I love what you do. Yeah, well, the feeling is mutual. I got nothing but but respect for everything that you do. I mean, you you know, we talked to, before you were on the show. I think last December. You know, your guys turned his life around, totally 180, um, and, and you're doing some great things. And you know, for a young guy. And, you know, you're, man, you've already got two books under your belt, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you already got a third one in mind, don't you? Yeah, it's somewhere deep down in there. I, I think, uh, you know, how it, I mean, just doing any project, it's, I just have to have the courage to start it. And once I've started, I'm stuck in it. So I just finished my second one. So right now I'm just trying to sell that one. 
before I could even wrap my head around a third one. But there's some ideas rolling around. Oh, yeah. Well, real quick, just tell everybody a little bit about your second book, The Riptide, um, in case uh, we got some Bama fans out there that want to check it out. Yeah, well, The Riptide was definitely uh, different from my first one, which was, you know, a history book about the Kennedy assassination. The Riptide is, uh, um, I kind of used the same format of, of oral history interviews, and I went inside the Alabama football program because uh, they've been the most successful program in the history of college football. And I went in and I talked to their players to kind of see uh, how they've been so successful and what goes on behind the scenes and um, how they were able to build a program to be um, the most dominant program in the world. And uh, that's that's kind of the gist of it. Cool. So, yeah, if you're college football fans, Alabama in particular, if you want to check out Jake's book, they can find it, what, on Amazon or uh... – yeah, it's on Barnes Amazon. And and, yeah, it's at the Barnes and Noble stores and on Amazon and Goodreads, things like that. Okay, good. Sounds cool, man. So, it's been a while since I've had you on. There's been a lot of stuff happening in the JFK community. You know, I know you probably took a little time off to you know write this latest book. And you know, it, it's when you're talking about the JFK thing, you know, you kind of you kind of got to step away every once in a while, and then you come back into it with a fresh mind and and some fresh ideas. So what's been on your mind lately, Jake? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I did step away after it. and uh, I think you know, I definitely think that's good advice from you and from anybody. Tony Summers once, you know, when I interviewed him for my book, that was one of the top pieces of advice he gave me was anytime you get deep into it, always take time to step away so you can keep your perspective um, on life. And so, um, I wanted to be a more diverse author. I really, I really don't want to just be known as a JFK researcher. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, I want to be able to bounce to different topics. But I think, you know, I always have my eye on it. And when you're in this case, it never leaves you. And so I'm always watching online what happens. Um, you know, we're coming around that time of year again of the anniversary and coming around to the conferences, getting together. And so people are going to kind of ramp it up. And, uh, you know, I wrote that book, uh, Before History Dies, and I wrote it to get younger people involved and to get, um, the research community to try to work together and, uh, to try to have a new goal to move towards. And, um, I, I definitely wrote it with conviction and I don't want that idea to die and I don't plan on being quiet until we can make some sort of change, uh, to do it. So I haven't seen much change, but you know, change is a slow, slow progress and, uh, so that's just kind of on my mind, and I think with the elections going on, we see the media and, and things like that, and you know, we see the uh, how biased people can be with their ideas and their worldviews, and how this bleeds over into the uh, JFK community. So that that's the kind of stuff I'd like to dig into. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right when we're talking about you know bipartisan politics, and you know people get very, very opinionated one way or the other. And, and it's exactly the same way when you, when you start looking at some of this JFK stuff, you know, when not even just lone nutters versus conspiracy theorists, but it's, there's little factions inside of each camp that just can't seem to get along or agree on things either. I mean, just, you know, just for example, if you take a look at, you know, the, the conferences in Dallas, okay, you have a, a so-called respectable um, organization, Lancer, they, they have, real researchers and, and try to give you the best of what, you know, what's going on in new research. And, 
you know, I give them props for bringing in some of the newer faces like, like you last year and, and Carmine this year. And, and then down the street, you know, you got the, what I call the cuckoo conference and it's, it's Judy Baker and it's, it's Roger Stone and, and, you know, all these other people that are on the fringes. Well, what, what I like to think of as the fringes, but you know, in reality, these people, they have a heck of a lot of followers and people that believe everything that you, that you hear. And, and like I was talking to Carmine about, you know, you or no, Fred, I was talking to Fred about this and, uh, you know, you, you, you look at the conference and, and almost all the speakers are contradicting each other in some way or another. You know, you got LBJ did it, guys, you know, he, over here. And then, you know, you got CIA guys did it here. And they all know he was killed because of aliens and, you know, and on and on. And it's 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 frustrating at the, at the most because, you know, people are not going to go to both conferences. They're going to pick one and, and that's where they're going to be. They're not going to. Most people don't slide back and forth, you know, between conferences that are that close together. I mean, some do, don't get me wrong, but, you know, if that's in your vein of, of research where you, you you like to hear the more fantastical stories, but not a lot of evidence, you know, I mean, you can sit there all day at Lancer and hear a lot about evidence and evidence and evidence and documents and, and be bored to tears, you know. Sure, I'd, you know, I'd rather hear somebody tell me some fantastical stories but in the end it's all about trying to get to the truth and you know when you're looking at least from my opinion when you're looking at this other conference this judy conference you know i don't see much truth over on that side of things but i do see a money-making machine you know an opportunity opportunistic is what i uh, is what i like to call it because you know, when Copa went away, with when John Judge passed away, it, it left an opening, and it didn't take long for her to slide right in and grab a foothold. And, you know, it's not just, you know, the November in Dallas conference. You know, she's putting on Oswald birthday party conferences, you know, conferences in April over in England. You know, it's almost like a year-long thing. Like this year, she's got two books coming out. Last year was a book. You know, it just seems to keep going and going and attaching herself to this Raphael Cruz story and it's always something. And I just personally, I just can't wrap my head around it. Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, the old saying uh, from the Bible, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, and I don't think that could be more relevant to what you're saying because, you know, I, my deal is with the conferences is like, I have a lot of respect for Lancer. Like you said, they let me speak there. They let other people speak there. I think it's put together well. Um, however, to be completely honest, I do think they're, they're losing a little bit of a grip on what the goal is. And I mean, I love Deborah Conway and all this. None of this is personal, but it's just the truth. And by mixing in with some of the, more fringe conspiracy theorists and mixing that in and mixing those conferences in and allowing people in there who have these fantastical theories um, is all eventually it'll get swallowed up by those people who sell those kind of stories. And so the problem I have with the conferences is um, at, at what point um, is it unproductive to bring people in who are 60 age, 60 years old and up, bring them in a conference, the same people that come every year, and 
have a lot of the same theories and topics gone over and over again, since there's not a lot new in this case coming out right now. And and have everyone pat each other on the back, it becomes like a country club. Uh, no diverse topics, uh, no diverse speakers who disagree with your point of view, no debates with a moderator. Um, I really think they should go out to the colleges and 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 work with the colleges and be, and have this these conferences uh, sponsored as a credit to your your college degree in history. And have kids come in and break the case down to them one by one and have speakers in for that and let the younger kids mix in with the older researchers and vice versa. I think it would be healthy for the community, for the older researchers. I think it would hold people more accountable uh, accountable for what they say. I think it would discredit some of the fringe conferences who would refuse to do that. And I also think it would really help the case in mainstream media because the media would love to cover things like that. So to me, the community has become very um uh too introspective they look they don't they they're so focused on what they do and what they're comfortable with they don't see the bigger picture of this thing and the title of my book was before history dies and that's exactly what's going to happen if if they don't uh get a hold of this because it doesn't matter how much we research and stuff if you don't have anybody to pass it on to um then it dies and so that's it. And then on the other topic you said, which you made a really good point, you know, uh, my question is for some of these researchers, though they call themselves researchers, the fringe ones is, why is it that when someone disagrees with them or, or wants to correct them on some of their theories, um, that they accuse that group of being either working for the CIA or being arrogant or not knowing what they're talking about, yet they are never wrong. And that, that means they have every single detail about this case down to a perfection. And then the second thing I got to ask for this group is why do they viciously attack people's character whenever someone speaks out against them? Why do they write a long blog and come after them and insult them personally, try to destroy their personal life? Um, you have to question the motive of somebody like that. Um, when they respond that way, because if they were really interested in the truth at these conferences, they were really interested and what's going on and not just lying in their pockets, they wouldn't attack people like that. Um, and I think that's a major problem in the research community. Um, the personal insults and the attacks that I see online with the challenge I would lay to any researcher in the world. And I'll tell you something, some insight real quick, Rob. I was in a group email with some of the top researchers in the world on this case not long ago. They were very bitterly fighting about things that were going on, the insults got incredibly personal. And I chimed in and and told all of them, I said, how is this helping the case out? Y'all insulting one another. How is anyone learning from this? What example are you setting for me? And I never got an email back from it. Um, and it, and the whole thing stopped. And so my thing is that's a major problem and, the, and it won't get healed until we break up these fringe conferences and we stop having fat pat clubs and bringing the same people in and patting each other on the back and never being challenged. And when we are challenged, we just slander that person and, and demonize them. And it just, it does no good. You know, you just don't grow that way. No, you're exactly right. You know, and I know the people you're talking about and, and you can, it, it, it's on both sides too. Don't, don't get us wrong here. You know, it's, it's not just on the conspiracy side of things referring to lone nutters. You know, there's some, oh, no doubt. Yeah. there's some pretty vicious 
you know, guys over there that don't have any better argument than to, than to just attack your, um, your character or, or, or make fun of your, uh, you know, your research ability or whatever they want to bring up and, you know, their holier than thou attitudes. And, you know, like I said, it's on both sides. And I think, you know, when you, when you, when you start breaking it down and, and, and to kind of get us to that point, um, you know, you brought up an interesting point earlier about the media, you know, when it comes to, you know, wanting to, to cover things like these JFK conferences, you know, that it, you don't see it, you know, at least not now, or maybe on a major anniversary, you know, or Alex, if Alex Jones decides to show up to one of these things, you know, you might see something there, but, you know, I, I really like your idea when it comes to getting the youth involved, because that is, it's a conference I went to, I saw that as a major, major problem as well. You know, I think I was the youngest person there and I was 40, you know, which is a huge, huge problem and a huge gap between a teenager and me, you know, as far as people that, that, you know, could have something to contribute to this case because, you know, granted we're 53 years in, there's not a lot of new stuff coming out and what new stuff we do have coming out is, is pretty much just on a debunking level. Like, you know, like Joan, Joan Mellon's research into debunking the Mac Wallace fingerprint, you know, while it's, it's, it's good to finally put that myth to rest, you know, once and for all, so we can, you know, get a little closer to the truth, you know, it's not really new groundbreaking research. And at this point in the case, like you said, there's not going to be much new groundbreaking research coming out unless we have, you know, something come out, coming out in these document dumps we've been getting. And, you know, next year when the files are released. So, you know, we're kind of at a, we're kind of treading water here, Jake. No, I, yeah, and I definitely agree with you. And the next argument would be, well, uh, we do have new stuff coming out. We should be doing this and that. My, and my, my thing is just the, the the could not stress it enough. If the JFK research community does not do something to stop being uh, just stuck on their own ways, if they don't do something to swallow their pride and to bring other people in, if they don't get creative, this thing will die. And that works in any system. And I got to really question the motive of some people. Uh, this is not all the researchers at all, because I have a lot of respect for them. But I got to question the motive of some. Do they have too much pride to let their identity in this case go? Meaning, will they bring younger people on? Can they teach them? Uh, uh, can they be creative and bring them in? Uh, you know, the whole deal is the excuse is that younger people won't listen. That's just not true. Uh, what we don't want is to have things force fed down our mouth and when we disagree with somebody to be cursed out like what happens online uh lone nut and conspiracy aside but you know what's sad rob is this thing is turning to a lone nut conspiracy and like you said the subgroups and the fringe and all this and people really act like it's very arrogant of people to act like they own history they own jfk they own this case and they have a right to do whatever. And you really see the ugly side of human nature in this stuff, the character behind it. Um, you know, the pride, the entitlement, the control, these type of things that people struggle with, that we all struggle with. Um, uh, I just feel like it's time. It really is time, especially with these documents coming out for 
people to really take a step back and go, hey, man, we're doing all this research and work, but we have no plan B for later on. And how do, how do these, how do these people not, how do we not know that the CIA is not aware of that, that government agencies aren't aware of that? Why wouldn't they hold the documents back another 20 years and just allow these people to pass on? And then there's not going to be anybody left really around that even cares. And they could even roll out 30, 40 years from now. Just imagine this, Rob, and say, yeah, you know what? That's dead history. And there was a conspiracy murder the president and Oswald was with the CIA and all this stuff. And let's say they said that, um, and guess what? They're going to get away with it because no one is going to be there to care. Yeah, and nobody's going to be around anymore that is even associated or affiliated with any of this stuff. You know, you might have Oswald's great-great-great-great-grandchildren around by then, but, you know, by then it's it's going to be ancient history, at least, you know, for them. Because, I mean, if you look at... If you look at society from the from the early '60s to now, I mean, it's a stark, stark difference. It, it, you know, even on the technology side of things, and as far as the fam- family dynamic, it's a lot. It's a lot different. You know, even with people having just some spare time to just do a little research, I think that's ninety percent of the problem. Jake is, it's so much easier for people to get online and listen to people you know, that are on the fringes that have the loudest mouths to tell them a story and they be, okay, well, I don't have to look into this anymore because now I know what happened. You know, this person over here is telling me exactly what I need to know. It sounds good to me. Let's roll with it, you know? And, uh, you know, but speaking of the fringes, you know, I, I, man, I always thought that, you know, in this little Facebook bubble, you know, we kind of know who most of the people are and what side they fall on and this and that, you know, if you go on the, uh, the forums like the education forum or deep politics or ROKC, you know, you know where, you know, there's, you see the people that contribute the most. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a lot of people. It's a handful of people. It's the same people. And then you step out of that box and, you know, I go over, cause I mean, I think most people would agree that people like, Jim Fetzer, Larry Rivera, Ralph Sinkay, that whole crew of their little Oswald Innocence campaign and their little self-proclaiming that they're the best JFK researchers in the world and this, that, and the other. You know, I go on YouTube, man, and, you know, I, I see how many people listen to my show. And I only, you know, I only basically, not advertise, but put it out there just on Facebook, you know, through social media. You know, yeah, my show's on YouTube, but it's not my main medium. Um, theirs is, and I go look, go over there and see the the number of views that their videos get of their radio show, and I'm like, how is this even possible? Because they don't pimp it on social media at all, not really, and uh, it 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 blows me away, Jake. I mean, their shows get more views and than 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 mine gets than mine gets listens, which astounds me. Well, yeah, and you know, in a way, it's uh, it, it shouldn't too much because the to encourage you and something I stay encouraged by is um, if you look throughout history, what the majority of people usually believe or follow is not right. Um, masses are usually wrong about 98% of the topics. So 
Um, you know, we you call them we call them sheep or sheeple people, like you said, who don't do research, who are not skeptical in areas they should be. The amazing contradiction here is that a lot of those guys who follow these sites and do these type things claim to be the most skeptical people of the government, and yet they buy hook, line, and sinker into this stuff, you know. And I'm very thankful I got out of that friend stuff early on just using logic and, and following the contradictions. So um, I, I, I really believe that uh, the people who do listen to your show, the people who listen to people like Carmine and, you know, some of the more logical researchers um, on both sides um, who, do, who are not disrespectful to other people and really care about history are the people that matter. Um, you know, these these guys will cry about how they don't get on major documentaries. And things. Well, the reason why they don't is because they're so disrespectful, and that's not the way the world works. No one wants to pull somebody on who acts insane and who peddles insane theories on a major documentary and have them speak because these companies have to make money and have a reputation to uphold. I know I don't want my name associated with certain people, um, which is why I lay low in the community. But to encourage you, I think the people that that really want to know about the case will listen to your show. Um, and the people that want to know and want to grow will follow it. Um, you know, at my job in drug counseling, we have a saying where it's worth it if it's just for one person. Meaning if we did, if I counseled for a hundred years and only one person got off drugs, it was worth it. Even though the thousands of others never turned it around. And so we, you know, I said in my speech of answer last year, you never know who you're going to impact. You never know the next JFK could be somewhere listening, be a little boy, um, little girl somewhere in a classroom um, who will who will once again, you know, actually care about this country, care about history and things. I mean, look at where we're at now in politics. Um, this is all everyone's worried about the election, what's going to happen. People are not looking at the loot. Our two candidates. The most, the only two that will realistically have a shot. Um, I only got to this place because we we went through a whole generation of uh, raised on Facebook, and we've lost teaching history in the schools, and this is the result of it. Uh, people don't fact check; they follow their bias, and so I don't sit there and try to convert people over uh, from people like Judith Baker or Ralph or these groups i don't try to argue with those people or convert people over if they want to follow them they can and that's fine all i want to do is present the best evidence i can be as fair as i can and be fair to history and then the ones that follow that to me are, are the ones worth following the ones who don't um they're not worth you know I'm, i mean I, I i'm a christian i tell people you know uh, christ uh, 12 people followed him out of all of israel so the the no matter what anyone's belief is, the perspective there is just because very few people are following this way and there's a whole massive group following that way does not mean the mass is right. Usually they're wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to illustrate a point, you know, I decided to bring back a segment for this show and it's called ridiculousness of the week and i could not help it because when i saw this online jake i could not believe what i was seeing and hearing and the ridiculousness of this week is that ralph sinkay and the in the oswald innocence campaign have have made a startling discovery 
And uh, that discovery is that it really was not Jack Ruby shooting Oswald in the basement of the DPD. No, no, no. They claim that it was actually FBI agent uh, Bookout, who who was dressed up like Ruby, and then was switched. And then some, somehow Jack Ruby just kind of went along with with all this stuff. Um, to me, even on the face of it, you know, the, and their proof is a blurry, a blurry picture where Jack Ruby, his face kind of looks like Bert, where he has like a unibrow. And it's just ridiculous. But people are buying this stuff up. You know, he's getting published on various websites and blogs, and they've done three radio shows about it over there. He's going through his so-called evidence, and it's just, it's, it's, this might be, it's a candidate for sure for ridiculousness of the year. I mean, it's just, but, you know, people buy this stuff up, man, and you can't argue with them. You can't explain around it. You know, once they got their mind wrapped around it, that's it. Okay, well, this if 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 this guy says it, then it's true, you know. And it's like, wow, right. And let's let's say for a minute, just let's go ahead and together we can break this down logically. Um, and like I said, you can, the media proves it, um, life proves it, this election has proved it. People are going to follow their bias, no matter what their candidate does, no matter what they've done or they say, they're still going to defend them and see them in the best light they can. So let's break this down. You know, one of the things I'll say, one of the tools, because I really want to work at being someone in the research community that can provide solutions, because I hear a lot of talk, you know, but sometimes I don't hear a lot of solutions from some of these people. And um, the thing is, is one of the solutions is, uh, for my job, I had to learn character profiling. What a lot of people don't realize is a lot of these fringe conspiracy theorists, you know, are sociopaths or narcissists. Some of them are even psychopaths. They don't have conscience. It uh, doesn't bother them to lie. They'll even live out their lie to keep it going. Uh, yep. And a lot, a lot of people don't understand that, that messing with some very nasty people. Um, and so the, you do not engage a sociopath. You don't engage a psychopath. That's not how you approach these people, these fringe people, because there's something very wrong with them and their character. And when you do that, it only hurts you in the end because they're such great deceivers. Uh, they're very charismatic people that, and people love to follow them until they're personally close with them and they get burned. So all of that to tell you this, I would recommend the research community not engage these people. And I'm going to use the example of Morgan Freeman when they asked him one time, I believe it was on 60 Minutes, uh, what are they going to do about racism? What's he doing about racism? And Morgan Freeman said, uh, stop talking about it. Um, and, you know, I don't mean to be insensitive, uh, but the Morgan Freeman's point there was stop, stop stirring up the hornet's nest and keep talking about it. The more the media talks about it, the more it stirs everybody up. And I think the way to let this thing die is not to feed them and let their fringe people do their thing and we'll do ours. And we'll see at the end of the day who's more credible. Um, but you know, they're going to keep coming out with these crazy theories and the motive behind it. Why, why, why the Raphael Cruz story? Why Jack Ruby being switched out after 50 years now? All these theories are coming out. Why is that? Because these guys run out of things to say and they run out of books to sell and you got to come up with a new theory and they really take advantage of people and they twist history. It's really sick. But 
I'll jump in with you. Let's just logically break that down. So at what point was Jack Ruby switched out? Because Jim Lavelle and everyone that was right there instantly knew who it was. He, Jim Lavelle and them saw Jack Ruby in the crowd before it ever happened. Um, and then logically, why would the conspirators need a fake Jack Ruby to do the shooting when he was going to go along with it anyways and, and be arrested for it and die in jail? That makes absolutely no sense why they would need a fake Jack Ruby there. It's just a huge risk to the conspiracy that could blow the whole thing. And it makes no sense to swap him out when you're going to have the guy go down for it anyways. And then you let him live in jail another three years and he never says anything about it. Um, and it's just, it really is not logical. And I, it is ridiculous, you know. And I just hope people can wake up and just on the most basic common sense say, man, that theory is ridiculous and it's debunked on its face uh, because, I mean, there were how many people down there in that basement and they took Jack Ruby in instantly and they wrestled the pistol out of his hand and you're telling me that Jim Fetzer and some of these guys know better than everyone in that room? And then here comes the other thing that everyone always says, oh, well, they were all in on it. Well, the conspiracy just grows and grows and grows. It's just ridiculous that you would get all of those people with different worldviews and different beliefs all to work together to switch out an FBI fake Jack Ruby for a real Jack Ruby um, when he when he goes down for the fall right there. Um, it's just not realistic. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he, what he's a legend, of course, is, is that, you know, we never see Jack Ruby's face until – after it all, all after everything happens, you know, he's captured from, from behind and then the policemen sw- kind of swarm over top of him and hustle him off down, down into the elevator. And then I guess that's when but, the real Jack Ruby comes, comes out and, uh, you know, and then serves and then serves a, what, a three year sentence before he died in jail. Right. Do you, you understand what I'm saying here, Rob? That I why? do. <laughs> would know. you switch him out when you're going to have that guy go down anyways? It really makes no well, sense. Why would he uh, even agree to, to, to be the patsy for this? I mean, you know, he's supposedly, he's doing okay, you know, with his, with his clubs and he's, he's doing his thing. Why, why would he agree to, to take the fall for, for that? If, you know, if he wasn't, if he, you know, if he, if he would have said, okay, look, I, you know, I'm not going to shoot the guy, but I'll, I'll take the punishment for it. And and I'll go through the trials and, and, and I'll sit in jail for it. That makes no sense whatsoever. And, and not only that, we I mean the best thing is too, I mean, you can say Oswald denied his killing, which he did. I mean, he denied it over and over again. Even in his death he wouldn't admit to it. But Jack Ruby admitted to killing Oswald. And that's another problem with this theory. Yeah, that's, um, that's true too. It. And the and the pistol that was used, I know what they're gonna say that it was all set up and all that. But you know, Rob, at what point, man, is this going to stop? And that's, and you're right, it is the ridiculousness of the week, and probably of the decade. Yeah. Because at what point is this going to stop? Like, it just keeps going and going and going. And to me, when you can do that, I mean, I can do that about anything in life. I can just keep arguing and keep saying everyone's in on everything and just be, you know, a paranoid fanatic. But at some point, you got to have some logic come in and some evidence. And you know what? There's no evidence for that theory, and they can pump as many books out as they want. But there's no one. We don't really need to worry. We can calm down because there's no one. It's not like, you know, 
uh, some major historical documentary is going to give that any credence or, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, yeah. the news media is going to be lined up at Fetcher's door to hear that. Um, everyone understands on his face that that stuff's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but look, as much as we can sit here and say that you'd be surprised at how many people are lap up every word and be, and believe this. And, I think a lot of a lot of researchers and and people that that follow the research need to have a higher threshold for so-called evidence. You know, for for me to manipulate a photograph or a still from a moving picture and blur it up and show it to you and say this is evidence that this happened. It's not. It's it's really really not. Um but, you know, I think we need to have a higher standard of, of evidence, you know, and like Carmine likes to say, you know, stick to the documents, you know, what, what can we prove? Um, you know, some eyewitness testimony. And here's another thing, Jake, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, Roy Lewis. Okay. He was a, a Texas school book depository employee. He was an order filler like Oswald. Okay. And for years, I mean, and look, the same guy that's bringing us, Ruby was actually book out also brought us Oswald's in the doorway. Love ladies, really Oswald. Okay. They're behind all this stuff. Well, what they're alleging is, is that Roy Lewis is captured in the Alchins photograph and that he was outside on the steps at the time of the assassination. Now, earlier this year, back in January, I think Larry Rivera actually got to interview Roy Lewis and he did say some interesting things. The problem here is it takes one, and credit goes to Robin Unger for pointing it out. There's a document in Mary Farrell that the Warren Commission did where they established where certain people were at the time of the assassination, employees. And that's not even Roy Lewis in the Alchins photo. It's another employee named Carl Banks. Um, and Roy Lewis was actually inside the foyer of the front, the, the, the first floor. He wasn't even outside at the time of the shots. Um, unless he has changed his story and didn't tell the truth back then. Um, but if you look at a picture of Roy Lewis and you look at a picture of the figure that, you know, the, with the, with the, of the black guy right there under Billy Lovelady, it's clearly not the same person. To me, there's there's glaring physical um, attributes that are different. Um, you know, Roy Roy Lewis back then was I think 16 years old. He lied on his application. He was 15 or 16, and he was a, a a little dude. I mean, his nickname was Little Red, and the figure that we see in the Alchins was a big a big dude. Um, also, another order filler. But I think part of the problem is now, you know, these guys have been, and I think it's important for researchers to seek these people out and get them to talk and get them on record. Um, because now look what happens. They're, they're being perverted by the fringe to support their own theories, you know, because I'm sure they're going to twist this guy. And, and Roy Lewis is speaking at JudyCon this year. You know, they're going to twist it, what he's trying to say to say, well, yeah, Oswald was standing right there behind me on the steps. Um, I can see it coming a mile away, you know, and uh, and 
through no fault of Roy Lewis's, they'll just con- confuse him and show him picture after picture and overlay over overlay and, you know, say, well, this could have been this. I mean, maybe you didn't notice. Maybe you, didn't, you know, somehow convince him that, you know, this is what actually happened. And I can see it coming a mile away, Jake. And I, you know, it, I wish because there's a lot of researchers in Dallas. Um, you know, I think Roy Lewis has been local there for a long, long time. And, and for nobody to talk to this guy and get him on tape before that, before now, uh, is a shame. Yeah, it's, it's really sad, you know, and it's, um, especially when you have opportunistic people who are going to, like you said, they're going to seek him out, manipulate him, get him to, um, see it, see it their way. And, um, which is very sad because we're talking about, Pretty, I mean, the elderly at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, Rob, it's like at the end of the day, um, uh, it's like you said, these, uh, they're going to have their following and they're going to pull this stuff off. And I do agree with you. I definitely agree with you. The research community should have an evidence threshold. Uh, there should be some sort of vetting system where um, people are discredited or credited. You know, we all do that in our own minds. Um, but the problem is you can't get people to stop insulting each other long enough to where resentment doesn't build up. And there's all these bickering and gossip and personal issues in the community. Um, you can't have people to actually have character when they're doing it. And, and because of that, it's almost like in a sad way, and I really don't mean to insult anybody, but it's like children. Uh you can't get them focused enough to do anything. And, you know, it, it does leave the door wide open for opportunistic people to come in and take advantage. So if you don't have any evidence, um, then then people can say whatever they want in life. Unfortunately, this stuff right now, as far as right now, it doesn't work in the court of law. Now, we'll say this. Our culture is headed to a scary place of where emotion trumps the law. And it means if, if an event happens and enough people get emotional about it, then that pressures the court system to make a decision based on emotion, no matter what the evidence says, because there'll be an angry public mob to come for the judge, to come for the DA, to come for the police's job, or whatever. It's a very scary time we're living in and we're headed to. Jeff K community is really no different. They follow the culture they live in. And, and their emotional stories, their emotional books and, and emotions, and they get people to cry and do these things, and the masses stir up and believe them without evidence. Um, but I think something you pointed out, too, is interesting, is um, you got to have evidence, right? And you have to confront these people, and we do have to correct what's wrong. And I really think it's important to start to keep younger people away from these people um, and that's one of the efforts I'm trying to do on, on, on my home front. And I have been able to do it with a lot of younger people. Um, and what I'm saying is we do have to confront them, but the, where people get sucked into that black hole is they confront them, whether they're long under conspiracy and they get stuck there with them and they go down on their level and they start cursing each other out and it gets personal and they sit on Facebook all day long and today sit in these groups and forums. And pretty soon, man, uh, they they leave themselves wide open like a boxer who forgot to put his hands up, and and their character is assassinated, and that is the end of that researcher. And so, 
I really like what you're saying. I think that it's smart to engage and debunk and have a care, uh, have a, and reach out to these witnesses before these opportunists get to them and um, have some sort of character threshold, have some sort of evidence threshold. And I think it's equally important, though, once you do it, to get out of the way like a boxer to bob and weave and get out of plain sight before you get assassinated in your character. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, I think some of these folks, I mean, it, it, it's really hard for, you know, and there's not really that many real, serious, sitting in the archives type researchers anymore. They're just not. I mean, people don't have time to do this anymore. You know, back in the 60s, sure, people had free time. Or, you know, if people live close, like, like Weisberg, you know, he was retired. He had free time. He lived close to the archives. He could do a lot of this stuff. You know, people like John Newman, you know, they got, they got, they're retired. They got time to go sit in the archives and really dig through documents and find things and write books, intelligent books, thick books, you know, that are very thorough about what they're, what they're finding. Um, you know, it's just, it, it, it's crazy to me. I mean, some people have turned this into such a cottage industry. Um, that, like you said, the same people show up year after year, you know, and, and they got their books and they're married to their theories and, and, you know, I think you were you were smart when you wrote your book, Jake, because you kind of took, you know, like a a bird's eye view of of both sides of everything, and didn't really jump in the middle and start spouting what what you believe and how you think this person's wrong or this person got that wrong. Because I think w- once you write a book, it, you know, basically a research based book, you know, what you've written is is pretty much in stone, you know. Um, and if you go back and change it, then what you're saying essentially is, hey, I, I kind of got it wrong the first time because I didn't really do a thorough, good, a thorough enough job researching. Um, but uh, I've, I've, I've changed my theory and I've got a new book and, and listen to me now. Uh, you know, that kind of thing just doesn't fly. Um, you know, once you, you know, I think one, like, for example, all these LBJ books that finger Mac Wallace as, the, as a sixth floor assassin. Okay, that's their theory. LBJ was behind everything because, well, he had Mac Wallace in his back pocket. He was his personal assassin, you know, and this, that, and the other. Well, once you take that away, okay, you know, the veil starts getting a little thinner for your little theory because what all these people that should have done that put Mac Wallace in the sixth floor is done independent, just like Joan Mellon did, re-go over, you know, hire your own expert, um, and redo, re have it redone because when you're talking about fingerprint evidence, it's a very subjective thing. At least it used to be. I mean, now it's pretty easy to put two fingerprints in a computer and say, okay, do they match or not? You know, there's programs that actually run this stuff for you. You don't have to sit there with a magnifying glass going from page to page anymore. And, not one of these people that write these LBJ did it books did that. They took the first research that was done on the stuff 20 years ago by an 80 year old guy using a magnifying glass on photocopies as gospel. And now they're going to pay the price for it because it's been debunked, but their books have been written, you know, that that's their, their cottage industry and they're not going to come off of it easy. Yeah, and, and let me ask you this question, Robin. Like, do we honestly believe? Does, do people really honestly believe 
that even had they known that fingerprint wasn't his fingerprint, they wouldn't have gone ahead and ignored that and wrote the book anyways, you know, and stuck their claim on that. And, and um, you know, do we honestly believe that? I mean, I, I think they still stick by it. Even if she debunked it, they'll still stick by it. And that's the bias we went back when we were talking about early on, the bias we see. Um, in human nature, you know, my, my, I was mentored underneath a guy, uh, for years, uh, and very high, a high level guy, very, uh, he's a very smart person, high character. And I mentored underneath him for three years for my job. And one of the things he would ask me to challenge my pride as a person, he'd say, when you go up to people, ask yourself, what do they know that I don't know? And he said, and then you learn from them. You don't assume you have all the answers and that you know because it makes you a biased person. Um, and so I, do you ever see that? I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Do you see that going on in the research community outside of a few people? Do you see people go, hey, you know what? I was wrong about this and I'll take it back. And, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry I wrote it and I'm, and I'm wrong and I'm really here for the truth. So I'm admitting I'm wrong and let's move on and I'll help y'all go. Do you ever see that happen? It's very, very rare because I mean like you look at somebody like like Jim Mars or Anthony Summers they've written their Kennedy books and they wrote them back in the 80s you know sure they've been getting little updates here and there but for the most part there's a lot of facts in both those books that don't hold water now 30 years later but you don't see them going back and and they're kind of out of the game. They're at, they're kind of removed themselves from the from the you know the whole JFK element. They've wrote their book. They've made their money. They moved on to bigger and better things. Okay, that's fine. Um, but you know as it as it as it is with a whole, I think it comes down to people don't want. They just don't want to have their their beliefs, you know, shattered. Um, and. It's understandable, you know. Look, I believed I believed a lot of things when I first started looking into this case, and I had many of them shattered relatively quickly. You know, I used to believe, you know, okay, you know, well, I, you know, my belief is Oswald was not even on the sixth floor. He didn't fire a shot. He didn't own the gun, and and da, 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 and on and on, like all conspiracy theorists believe it was, you know, a gigantic conspiracy, and he was set up from the beginning. He's not guilty of anything. You know, but then as you go along and you talk to different people, you know, and you find out different things and you have to either you would, you have to adjust your way of thinking or you're just not being honest with yourself. And I think that's the big problem is people don't like to do that. <laughs> you know, they once once they've got their deal and they think they figured the case out, it's it's personally insulting to them to have somebody come along and, and just shatter everything with with some evidence that contradicts what they're saying, you know? No, and you're exactly right. You hit it on the head, and that's something that doesn't come up a lot in this case is the character profiling of each researcher. Um, And, you know, it's very important to know who we're learning from and how they're wired and what their motive is. All those things are important instead of, like you said earlier, just being impulsive and jumping right in because we – we want to believe something. You know, there's a, I want to believe the best things about myself are true in my personal life. I want to. Um, you know, my history, past history with drug abuse and things like that. I want, I wanted, I didn't want to believe I was dishonest. I didn't want to believe I had bad character, but you know, eventually you got to accept that if you want to get better. And all of us, 
um, have a personal responsibility to make sure we are honest in this case um, and that we aren't tying our ego um, and our personal beliefs into, like you said, trumping the evidence over what we want. And, and you know, the only way this is going to change is if people actually take that on themselves and they don't want to be crooked and they don't want to be dishonest. Unfortunately, um, you know, as we know, there are a lot of dishonest people that tie themselves in this case. And that's not because it's just the JFK case. There's a bunch of conspiracy freaks and all this stuff that people say. It's not that, because uh, conspiracies happen in life. Um, it is that there are just dishonest people in general in society. And to have high character and to look at evidence and to be honest and to put your personal beliefs aside for the sake of history there are very few people out there that'll do that. It's rare. And the reason why it's rare is because it's difficult to be that type of person. It's difficult to deny what you want, um, what I want. And it's difficult to um, own up to it. It's very difficult uh, to do. But if the community ever wants to become relevant again, they're going to have to do it at some point. Yeah. And if people actually want to know and get to the truth, you got to be able to roll with the punches and, and be willing to accept things that don't jive with your theories, you know, at least if when presented with actual evidence, you know, and the dichotomy of this case, Jake has always amazed me. Like if you were to, to compare the JFK assassination with the RFK assassination, okay. You have a Kennedy being killed by a lone assassin you know, in front of a lot of people, okay, on on the face of it. You don't see what goes on in the JFK community go on in the RFK community. I mean, it's 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 almost like you know that that it, it's it's almost accepted that okay, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, we got Naguchi's uh, autopsy report you know, that there was powder burns, you know, on the back of Kennedy's head, you know, so how can Searhan, Searhan fire a gun from in front of him and get powder burns on the back of his head? You know, you can argue, you know, and if we had, if Humes's autopsies, you know, what said something about the neck wound being an entrance wound, well, there you go. I mean, it's, it's, it takes one small little thing that can change everything. And we wouldn't have been arguing about this for the past 50 years. You know, I'm sure there's people interested in RFK case. There's people have written books about it, but you don't see the kind of arguing. You don't see the kind of lone nut conspiracy crowds with the RFK assassination that you do with the JFK. And I think, you know, just like one, one little small, little simple thing like that, you know, if, if humans were to determine and, and, and those guys at Bethesda, if, if, if they would have determined that that throat wound, throat wound was an entrance wound, then that changes everything. You know, it's, there would have been no, you know, then it would have been a conspiracy. Oswald would not have been the patsy. He wouldn't have been the lone assassin. I mean, it changes in the face of everything that has to do with the case, but we don't have that. You know, it's, it's not cut and dry like if you look at RFK and you think, okay, well, there's 14 shots fired in this small little pantry, but his gun held eight bullets. Okay, there's a problem. Okay, there's obviously another gun in here. Um, you know, people's getting their 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 cameras taken. They're they're taking you know 
window frames and door frames off the walls and they're losing evidence and this, that, and the other. And we, you know, people accept all that, but with JFK, it's totally different, man. It is. And, and the ultimate irony is, is uh, in a way I sat back and wondered before if, if, if JFK was killed by a conspiracy of high government officials, even if it's a group of them, uh, you know, or let's say that Oswald was tied in with the CIA in some way, which is what what it's looking more and more like, you know, based on like Carmine's work, people like Jefferson Morley, you know, what went on down there in New Orleans and things like that. And let's say um, Oswald killed the president, and let's say that uh, there was this massive cover-up, you know, of people who were tied to Oswald. The funny thing is, is as much as the JFK community prides themselves on not being easily fooled, to me, if we're all sitting there, like you're saying, we're all fighting over all this stuff, um, I would think that would be their plan. The disinformation propaganda machine, the same thing they do with race baiting and other things, just stir the media up and stir the people up and have them all fight each other. And then nothing ever gets accomplished and the guilty party gets to sit back and watch the whole thing happen. And so to me, by everyone fighting and going on, this is something I said at the Lancer conference last year, by everyone doing this, they're actually playing right into the hand of the people that want to cover it up. Um, that's what I would do, uh, because you don't have to do a lot of cover-up work when everyone's too busy insulting each other um, and the bigger picture is lost. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, Rob, I'm not a negative person. Man. I give my life to help guys have a better life. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I don't want to come across as cynical and negative, I'm a very optimistic person, but I'm also very honest, how I try to be. And so when there is huge problems and there are cancer cells growing in the community, man, somebody's got to say it. You know what I mean? And somebody's yeah. got to pull it out. In order to be optimistic and in order to achieve better things, we've got to rebuke these things. And my question to every researcher, the challenge I want to lay out, to anyone who hears your show is, um, would you talk to your daughter or your mother or, or a stranger you met out on the street, not you, Rob, but people, would, right. you, would the people who do this insult, would they treat and talk to their family members and other people like they talk to each other online? And if they wouldn't, then why do they do it online? Because it shows that it's shameful. Um, and then the second thing is, we all want to solve what happened to JFK. Why do we love JFK? Because he was a great president, you know, and he, even outside of his flaws and all of that stuff, the guy had a conviction for America that we really miss now, looking back 50-something years. Boy, how would we like to have that now? You know, the conviction of a Robert Kennedy or John F. Kennedy that was robbed from us. That's one of the reasons why we care so much, and we should. But why is it that the JFK community puts quotes up of JFK, the profile pictures of JFK, the cover photos, they do conferences, but then when it comes down to it, we don't act like JFK would. We don't act civil. We don't follow those quotes and apply them. We'll, po we'll, we'll put a quote up of how JFK called for peace and tranquility and listening to each other and being teachable and trying to work together like he tried to work with the Russians and didn't go to nuclear war and we admire all that, and then we'll get on the internet and cuss somebody out because they don't believe what we believe. And it just, it's a huge contradiction. 
and it's, it shows you how far people are off. And I've asked people that. You care so much about who killed him, and you care so much about this time's history and what happened to him, yet you don't act like anything he taught. You don't apply anything he taught. So what good is that? Um, because you know what? If somebody cusses me out, I really don't care who killed him. Um, as far as their perspective goes, they've already lost me. Yeah, I mean, it instantly falls to the wayside. Um, you know, when you start attacking people on a personal level, it just tells it tells me that they have nothing else. You know, they have no evidence. They have no proof to to, to throw on the table and say, "Look, this is why I don't agree with you." Dot da 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 da. You know, instead, oh, well, you need to do, you need to go read this book, and you need to you need to do this, and and you know blah 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 and it's quite obvious you haven't read this or, or that and you know and yeah it, it's it's a problem and it's it's a curse of the the age we're living in you know if i mean just think for a minute if the first generation researchers had the internet <laughs> um either a yeah it would have been, uh, been a mess <laughs> yeah either a how much more they could have gotten done or B, you know, because everybody likes to think that, that that all these people liked liked each other and got along, and that is that is absolutely not the case whatsoever. Um, but you know, back then you had to, you know, researchers relied on collaborating by writing letters and sharing documents and. You know, it's a very slow, methodical process of going through things. Now you can hop online and you can post a document and instantly have it. And, you know, it's just way, way different than what it used to be. Um, and, and you make a great point, you know, it, it, you know, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's also these people, they're products of the, of the computer generation, the, the, uh, the keyboard courage, the you know, the bullying that goes on, um, these holier-than-thou attitudes about their so-called research because they can manipulate a photo, um, you know, and it 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 gets to a point where you just like you just have to walk tall, you know, through this forest of mess, and just kind of not let it bother you and keep keep doing what you're doing. And look, I'm guilty of it too. You know, when I first started, well, a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, you know, I was guilty of the same thing. You know, I was trying to right or wrong with the, with this Oswald in the doorway stuff and, and trying to talk to Fetzer and politely and respectfully and tell him how he got it wrong and this and that. And, you know, the response I got back was nasty, uh, demeaning, you know, every other word you could throw in there. And it eventually led to me doing this show. I mean, I started doing a blog, refuting everything they say by posting actual evidence and this, that, and the other. And, uh, (laughs) you know, making fun of them as well. Um, But it gets to a point where, you know, I realized that, okay, two years later, nothing's changed. They're still doing this crap. They're still putting this, this stuff out there. Meanwhile, I've been distracted for two years not doing any real research and not doing anything productive except for trying to refute what they say. Nobody's listening except them. Um, 
you know, it's kind of a futile thing, which, which led me into, okay, I need to do something different. I need to change it up. I need to get back to my focus and get back to talking about the case and, and this thing because it interests me, not just to fight with these other people, but on a whole nother level, which kind of led me into doing this show. So, I mean, if it wasn't for them, <laughs> I wouldn't probably be doing what I'm doing right now. I'd just be, I'd just be Rob Clark on Facebook, you know, speaking in a, in a couple groups here and there and doing my own thing and not really being too bothered about it. But, um, you know, I guess on a personal level, you know, this case has had a big imp- impact and it's because of what you were saying, you know, JFK was this great president. He had great ideas for America. Was he perfect? No, nobody's perfect. We all have our flaws, but I think if he would have been given a chance to implement a lot of his ideas and a lot of his beliefs that the world would be a totally different place right now. And the bad guys did win. They did win, Jake, and they're still in charge today. You know, I was I was reading, you know, if, if Hillary Clinton wins this election, okay, then the Bushes, the Clintons, and the Obamas will have been in control of America for the next 44, or for the past 40 years and the next 48 that's almost half a decade of three political families that have been in office. And that is just insane to me. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, it's, it is interesting to live now and see all of this play out going all the way back to that time. Uh, you know, and it, and it, and it does affect, I think it, you know, what guys don't understand, you know, I, I told, I did tell the Lancer conference because, you know, me personally, I do lean more towards a, a conspiracy belief. Um, I told the people at Lancer conference, you know, don't ever let anybody shame you uh, for believing in a conspiracy. Don't ever let anybody shame you out of it because that's, that, that's what a democracy is made of. We question our government. We hold them accountable. If we, if we feel like something's fishy and they've lied to us, which they have lied to us about this case repeatedly, then we have every right in a democracy to question them and hold them accountable. Uh, there's almost this socialism type view that you don't question daddy government on anything because they'll tell us the truth. Um, and if you do, you're not patriotic. You know, I don't think that's the way JFK uh, was. You know, I, I do think questioning can get out of hand once you've arrived at a certain answer. It should be enough. Um, but, you know, and, and along the lines of what you're saying, uh, about about you know the different types of ways that it affects your life um, and it affects my life too um, but it's bigger than us you know and and I'm not a kumbaya unrealistic type idealist I understand not everybody's gonna get along you're not gonna like everybody but you know when there's something bigger than somebody they sacrifice those things like I'm sure me and you don't see eye to eye on every single thing and I'm sure. And I've met a lot of people that in, in, in these Facebook groups and things that people when I did my book who were very nasty to me, but I turned around and was respectful to them. And I said, I understand you're upset because I did it this way or that way, but we can talk about it. And then I was able to make friends with some of these people by not responding so vicious to their attacks. And it proves even in mine and your friendship or other people's friendships because we become friends through this case. You become a part of my life and I become a part of yours. And 
um, it proves that no matter. So let's say we disagree on a certain fact. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to insult you and you're an awful person and uh, we should all just hate each other? And I mean, what is that going to accomplish? So it really is something you said earlier. It really is childish and immature because when a child is out of communication tools, what does he do? He pitches a fit. And I'm telling you, some of the guys you see on the documentaries on CNN, um, on the History Channel, representing both sides, I have seen them get incredibly nasty. And if those emails were ever released, people would be shocked at how vicious it is behind the scenes. And um, I've called them out for it because it's wrong. And we need to call people out for it. And we need to respond to them with kindness uh, when they're vicious with us. And just stick to the facts because you know what? Sociopaths and people like that, they cannot stand when you don't get wrapped up emotionally and stand with the facts. And uh, I believe that we will win out. Um, I believe that we have to keep fighting for the truth because, man, if we lose that and we allow these people to rewrite history, um, that, that's on our heads. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, well said. You know, it's, I think that's that's the impact or the you know that that could that could come come from all this stuff. I mean, they could, if, if, you know, if you know, once this older generation dies off, and you know, another one moves up to take its place, you know, the history that we know could potentially be rewritten by the next generation of researchers. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility, you know, because a lot of this older stuff is not online anymore. It, you know. Books are books. People, you know, they're, they're going to disappear eventually. Everything's going to be electronic. You know, a lot of these books are out of print. You know, a lot of these people that wrote them aren't around anymore. Um, so you're going to have, and, and of course, none, none of this stuff is in the history books as, as far as textbooks. You know, we have the official version that they teach us a little bit of in high school. Uh, for the most part, with the, with with the exception of some good teachers out there, you know, like Garland Brown, who who makes his class do an actual, you know, multi-week study of the case and, and kind of try it uh, in a, in a court-like setting, you know, from both sides, um, which I think is great, you know, that he implements that into his classroom. But he's he's in, he's a, in the very small minority of, of 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 folks and teachers that are actually interested in this and get their students really really involved you know, to get an interest in the case. And I think more of that is sorely needed. And I think your idea, um, you know, now granted, you know, some of these conferences, they'll offer a discount if you have a college ID. You know, I know it's expensive to go to these conferences, but um, that doesn't solve the problem. I mean, the, the conference I went to did the same thing, and there wasn't one college-age person in, in the joint for three days. Um, so that's that's not good. You know, and preaching to the choir gets us nowhere. You know, I thought, you know, at least back in the 90s, you know, pre-internet, I guess, you know, the conferences served a, a purpose. Um, it was a place that you could get together with like-minded people and share research, share new new research, new insights. You know, but in in the age of the internet, you don't you don't, you don't need that anymore. I can get online, Jake, and I can share with you instantly a document that I find. And I could say, hey, man, check this out. This is crazy. You know, but back in the 90s, I could have done an hour long uh, presentation on it that nobody else would have known about until unless they came to Dallas to see me, you know, or I decided to write a book about it. Um, and 
I think once the whole conference process catches up to the younger generation and embraces the technology that we have to be able to share this with the world, not just whoever is lucky enough who can afford to go to Dallas um, to, you know, experience this in person. But, you know, like you said, getting younger people involved, getting, you know, getting on the technology side of things, start live streaming these things, um, you know, really streamline the process instead of dragging it out over three days. And um, I think that's the future of it, you know, and, and it should be reserved for people that have something to say, something to share, something, you know, not just rehashing the same old thing. Uh, that we've heard year after year, but only in a different way. You know what I mean? Right, and we got to have leadership. I mean, we don't have leadership. We have people who have a lot of head knowledge. <clears throat> we have to have a leader. Um, we are leaders, you know, and leaders don't insult uh, other people, and they don't get caught up in the fray. They have a vision. Uh, and I feel like these conferences were great in their time, and I don't want to say they haven't accomplished anything because that would be arrogant of me. Like you said, they have. There was a time period where it was great, but now it's turned into a country club, and that's just the facts, and nothing is being accomplished. You know, sure, you go home from the conference, and you learn one new fact from last year, you know, and like Wesley Brule Frazier got up to speak at the last conference at Lancer, and then guess what? Richard Hook gets up and is so disrespectful to him, and uh, challenges him so aggressively that it almost gets borderline physical in there. And I am just like, man, these conferences don't need to be happening like this anymore. We need to get Wesley Bill Frazier in front of high school students, in front of college students uh, while he's still around, and not in front of a bunch of uh, researchers who have been to these conferences the last 20 years in a row. And I'm just saying that it's time for change. The JFK community cannot ignore this very much longer. We've got to reform things. And I guess it starts with people like me and you and, and Carmine and some of these other people out there. You know, I'm, I'm busy at work throughout the year trying to get younger people involved. And, um, and I do it in a way where I let them choose. I don't try to fit my theory down their throat like I did in my book. I try to let them choose. Uh, what they want to believe because I know what they're going to choose if I do that. So um, you're right. And this is where we're at and, and we are technologically behind and we're behind in the media and we're behind in getting people involved and everyone's worried about these documents and they are important and they should be, but people are not worried about who we're going to pass these documents on to. We find them and then what? Um, so it's very important to understand where we're at and and this is where we're at and so that's why i'm calling on the jfk community man to please reach out to one younger person and and, and take them with you to these conferences and you know let them have their own critical thinking and get them involved and, and i'm calling the people who run these conferences to get them involved if i knew how to do it i'd do it myself you know i just don't have the time or the money to do it um but we've got to eventually turn it around yeah, I mean, I totally agree. You know, get them, get them a book. Just say, here, read this book, just to get them interested. Here, watch this, watch JFK, watch this movie. Um, you know, get them engaged, get them involved. You know, grab a hold of their mind and explain to them, 
you know, the different theories of what could have possibly happened and, and get them interested in the case. That's the main problem. You know, when, when you go from being interested in the case and you go from being interested in the case to actually researching the case, you know, and then you go from researching the case to actually um, sharing what you've learned with other people, you know, it's a, it's a very gradual process. And I see people jumping from point A to point D very, very quickly these days without a lot of the stuff in between. You know, it's like, oh, well, Jim Mars said this in his book, so I'm going to run with that. Uh, and I'll look for anything out there that supports my theory and, and ignore everything else that doesn't support my theory. And I'm going to shout it from the rooftops and, you know, damn everybody who doesn't agree with me. You know, that's what we're seeing a lot of now. And, you know, on a, on a, on another level, you know, yeah, it'd be great, to, you know, for these younger kids to engage folks like Wesley Frazier, you know, and, uh, but just as a, for an example, you know, I just did a show with Chuck, uh, all, all about Wesley Frazier, as a matter of fact. Uh, he does have some uh, questions. He, you know, he does have some questions to answer. And, he, you know, he hasn't been really that forthcoming to researchers over the years. Um, and, of course, that needs to happen before we throw him in front of a bunch of high school kids and get another false history presented to them, uh, you know, when, when possibly things aren't quite right there. Um you know, that's the problem with things. I mean, we're so far out now, Jake, man. It's 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 really hard to, to you know, figure this thing out. I mean, people have been trying to do this for 53 years, and here we are 53 years later, and still with no definitive answers. Sure, we've got great speculative theories on things that are supported by evidence, but as far as somebody that can say, hey, I've finally done it. I've solved the case Listen to me. I've got it right here. The smoking gun. You can't refute it. You know, everybody can go home. That's not happened yet. No. And even if we did know the truth, sadly, I don't think we'd follow it. Uh, because so many people claim to be the ultimate authority and know the truth. But, you know, at the same time, if some smoking gun really did come out, um, in, in these documents or something like that. I really believe it would be logical, you know. Uh, I believe that it would be uh, something that couldn't be denied, you, you know, and I'm hoping for it. But let's say it never happened. Uh, what are we going to do? We're going to devour each other until all of us are just so tired of it we don't want to do it anymore, you know. Um, I just refuse to act like the mass of people, and I refuse to get in these vindictive battles and all these things like this. Uh, you know, I know everyone's got their expertise and everyone's got their place they fit in this case and no one is an island of itself. And I feel like my stick in this case is just kind of calling the JFK community to just start over, you know. And um, it does not bother me if people are offended by that because, um, like we talked about earlier, the truth is going to hurt, you know. But like I said, we claim to love JFK, yet are we here and claim uh, that there's not another way that we shouldn't revisit things. I mean, isn't that what he did during the Cuban Missile Crisis? Um, you know, he, he did a different avenue. He had a different perspective and he had a different plan and a vision that saved us from nuclear war. Um, 
And I just, you know, why is this case important? It's not just important to find out who murdered him anymore. It's important because history really matters. And we're living in a society now that does not care about history. And the JFK community has no right to hijack history and not share it with people. Um, in the older days, grandparents and things like that would teach their kids to respect history. And now we're at a point to where I feel like the elderly community wants to hold on to history for themselves. And they really blame the younger people for not wanting to learn. But at the same time, that's easy to do when you're not trying to teach them. Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent point, Jake. I mean, you know, I, I see exactly what you're talking about. Many examples of it, you know, on a daily basis. You know, when with with these young, you know, young kids these days, you know, even, you know, high school age kids, you know, if I'm trying to tell them, you know, about JFK, it's like it's not even on their radar, man. Like, it, if if it doesn't have to do with, you know, uh, whatever new Uggs is out, or the Starbucks, or the Kardashians, or you know, some something that mean is meaningless. I mean, just you know, whatever new dance that you know. Dab and I don't even know what these kids are doing these days, but um, you know whatever their deal is, you know it, a lot of them just don't care. It's just not on their radar. It impacts their life zero to even understand what their history is, and could care less what their history is. And this is a huge, huge problem. And you know, once once they've reached that point in their life, you know, it's too late for the most part. I'm not saying it's a hopeless adventure, and I'm not saying it's a blanket statement for all teenagers. But, you know, it's it's important for, you know, role models and parents to instill in their kids that history is important, you know, and to not let it die. Like, it's 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 important because if we don't realize what our history is we're doomed to repeat it i don't know who said that but it's a famous quote and it's exactly true um you know we, we i see it every day man i see it every day um and it's it, it's 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 crazy but you know for us i could sit here all day and complain about it but am i am i guilty for not doing anything about it well i'm trying to do something about it i'm putting a show out there i'm saying hey you know, kids, hey, it's a podcast. Kids, you can stream it live on your iPad, your whatever, uh, you know, while you're doing something else. And you can listen to this. And I try to be entertaining and not some monotone, boring guy um, talking about minute details about, you know, whatever. You know, I try to keep it upbeat, kind of entertaining and, and interesting. Um, you know, I'm doing my part so I can say what the problem is and you're doing your part. So you can say what the problem is. And for people out there that are doing nothing about it really don't have a right to complain. Um, so what I'm saying is do something about it. People, everybody out here listening, you know, you got kids, you know, teach them. History is important. You know, what happened with JFK is important when it comes to historical perspective, because it affects where we're at today. You know, and I see these kids, oh, Trump or Hillary, Trump or Hillary, huh? you know, who knows? You know, we're here at this point because of what has happened in the past. Um, and if people don't realize that, then we got a big, big problem, Jake. 
Yeah, and I mean, can we? And, and it's just you know, he trump Hillary all day long. But here's what's sick about it is, um, and JFK wasn't, you know, obviously, you know, about some of his problems behind the scenes, and it would have been exposed had they lived in this time, and Nixon's and things like that. But can we please have somebody again who actually cares about the country and cares about history? Uh, and that's that's what we're missing. That's why the case matters. Um, that's why people should be reaching out to younger people. Like you said, teaching their kids, start young. Um, I know when I have a child, that's what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to teach them to respect history. My dad was a history professor, so I was really blessed. So I grew up with a respect for it. And, um, you know, I just, the school system's going away from it. They're going to this common core stuff of math and science and all this, the most important, but history is being left. And history is the most important topic you can learn in school. And, you know, the thing is, is that, man, if you, what's scary is, is we're going to need a JFK soon. And it's, there's going to come another time of testing like the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I just hope that there's some younger person out there that's not on the Internet, not bickering and slandering, not getting caught up in that culture like these two candidates have done. I hope that there's someone out there that's like, you know what? I really love America and I want to run for the presidency of the United States because I really have a vision and really want what's best for the country. Because people say what they want about JFK, but they don't know the stories about he would lie in bed at night during the Cuban Missile Crisis and cry himself to sleep because he didn't want all of these people to die under his watch. And that's proven in the actions he's taken. Do we honestly believe? that Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is doing that, that they really care for our families or care for us or this country. And I just don't think so. No, no. Well said, my friend. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about here tonight, Jake? No, I think that just about wraps it up. I mean, I just, I do want to just stress one more time. You know, I'm not, um, you know, a gargoyle. I'm not some depressing fatalist. I, and I'm also not somebody that likes to strike at people and get at them. I just feel like um, some hard words need to be said, you know, and I feel like hopefully we win the right people over. And I hope anybody listening to this understands that I, like you, Rob, this case is a part of my life like it is theirs. And I'm a human being and I make mistakes. And um, But I really have the right motive in it. And I just hope we can pull away from this type of behavior and, and really get back to what the focus should be. And that's uh, finding out uh, what happened on November 22nd, 1963 and, and, and finding out uh, how we can fix it moving forward. Absolutely. Well said, my friend and, and folks, you know, at, even out there on places like Facebook, you know, you get involved with some of these negative people on there. They make this great thing. It's called a block button. And I would encourage everyone out there to use it. Uh, not just sparingly, just use it. I mean, it cuts out a lot of nonsense out of your life and it makes your experience online so much better. Um, and in closing, like I said, you can get Jake's books before history dies in the riptide, amazon.com. Uh, is there anything else, uh, websites I'm missing here, Jake? Uh, I mean, you can get it on uh Goodreads. You can get it in paperback or Kindle. Um, you can get it on barnesandnobles.com um, or the uh, Apple Apple app on uh, on on the internet. You can pretty much find it anywhere. In the worst case scenario, I'm easy to find on uh, 
social media. So you can message my fan page, Jacob M. Carter, on Facebook, and I'll I'll do anything I can to get somebody a copy. Cool deal. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure having you on here and talking to you. And uh, we'll have to get you back on soon, man. Okay. Thanks so much, Rob. And, uh, man, as always, if I can do anything for you, let me know. No problem. Thank you, Jake, for coming on the show. You hang on a line for me. Everybody, for more, head over to tlgpodcast.com. Um, that is the home of the show. And uh, once again, thank you to everybody out there that continues to support the show and share the show. Uh, special thanks to Steve this week for, for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, the people appreciate it. Uh, that's it for now, people. There's some bitches in the can beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. most formidable JFK team on the planet. So if anybody wants to know about JFK, we've only got one line because we've got mostly guests here. The Dr. James Fetzer, the um, leading JFK 9-11 researcher in the world, a ton of 9-11, and the number one JFK researcher in the world with new information is Larry Rivera. We're about to blow a hole in the whole JFK tonight because we've just discovered something that no one knows about. So we're going to break it right here on your show and on Dealey Plaza route. Right, the um, the former president's Buchanan's father was one block away from Dealey Plaza when the president's brain was blown out. Yeah, I'm here. All right, Larry. Um, look, you are the number one JFK researcher in the world, and you've just blown the case wide open. So go ahead and tell us now. I'm going to let everyone know. Well, at the Oswald Innocence Campaign, uh, the organization that I preside, uh, we have been uh, talking about this and researching this for for a long time. I know we've been at this now for. I got you. All right, Don. You got something to tell us? Yeah, it's great to be uh, great to be uh, making my maiden voyage here in uh, the Crescent City.
do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 US only. The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft Tells. Welcome to the House of Roll.